So hey there, guys and gals. Jack here. I wanted to do a little bit of an intro to today's episode for you. This is going to be the digital privacy presentation I gave at John Bush's D3 Summit. Many of you have already seen it or at least heard it. I um, broke it out. I put it on my Odyssey channel. Many of you were good enough to tip me really greatly there in cryptocurrency. If you did that, thank you. Um, that does exist, and if you want to share this presentation uh, that you're about to hear, uh, the show notes for today, episode 2870, we'll have a link to that breakout where you can share just the video if you want to. When I bring that segment on, it'll start off with John Bush introducing me. It'll go through my presentation, along with a couple questions that he asked me afterward. And that piece is what's in the Odyssey video. So if you want to share it without the uh, kind of behind the scenes, what's going on at TSP stuff here in the beginning, you can go ahead and do that. I wanted to do a few things today as I am about to be officially gone. Uh, I'm not gone as you're listening to this, but I'm actually doing this the weekend before you're hearing it uh, to get ready for my departure. I've got a lot of stuff to do to button down on the farm to get ready uh, for my caretaker that's coming in to get my shit together to leave. And when I walk out the door... Uh, this week, and I, I get into a car and I head off to the airport, I literally don't want to do any work until I come back. So I've, I've, that's part of why I've done the week that I've done this week. I've moved the Miyagi Mornings episode till Monday. You heard it yesterday. Uh, I said we're going to have some structural changes that Miyagi Mornings is going to become uh, one of the weekly podcasts instead of an extra podcast on the weekends. I think that I'm in a place in life where I can do that now, and I probably need to do that now. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you guys about is, how things are going to change yet remain largely the same. First of all, with Miyagi Mornings, they will continue to come out one episode a day during the work week. I'm going to continue to do that. I haven't actually worked out the logistics yet. I'm going to make sure it's a Friday show and still have Friday off, but I'll probably do something like two on Thursday or maybe even Sunday morning or something so that because my weekend mornings are just easy to throw something up like that and I can schedule it or something. I don't know exactly how. Some of the work that I'll do while I'm away is going to be uh, formalizing not so much what the schedule will look like on your end, but the logistics on my end, right? So uh, my point there is Miyagi Mornings Recap, episode 20, that ran yesterday, will be the last Miyagi Mornings podcast that's labeled separately. Miyagi Mornings is going to be merged into the Survival Podcast. So you'll be like, you know, episode 2871, you know, Miyagi Mornings, you know, recap four, uh, that type of thing. So it's becoming an official uh, piece of TSPC rather than adjunct. Uh, I just think that is more consistent with the branding, and it'll be branded that way, and, and hopefully we'll continue to bring in new listeners uh, from new spaces with, with that. I may actually, since it has its own category, uh, create a feed just for it and submit it as a standalone podcast in addition to TSP so that it has its own market segment. Uh, that's something there. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about the why behind a lot of this. And I've heard from a lot of you guys so far since I started talking about doing just a little less work for myself, basically. I'm, I'm basically giving myself an extra day off 
and I've worked really hard for 13 years on this, and I've heard nothing but positive things from everybody that I've heard from. You know, you're entitled to it. Don't worry about it. You've earned it. You know, I'm glad to see you doing it, things like that. I, I agree. I agree. I, I don't feel guilty for doing this. However, I do feel obligated to explain it, and for more than one reason. Number one, the show has become, for many people, part of their life. And so I now have something that's part of the life of thousands of people. I'm sure not every person that listens feels that way, but there is a significant segment of y'all who TSP is part of your life now. And it's not just the show, it's the whole community, the overlap, the relationships you've built within it, etc. And yet I have this kind of dictatorial power where I can literally change things. And so if I'm going to do it, I feel... I don't feel like I owe it to you to beg you to do it or anything like that, but I feel like I owe it to you to explain it. But there's another side of the explain, explaining it. I've tried to do something in this business that I never did in any other business I've ever been part of. To be completely transparent with even what you would call trade secrets. The secret sauce, there is no secret sauce to TSP. Anybody that wanted to build a podcast on the model that I've built this podcast literally can look at the information I've put out over the years, and it is a step-by-step -step plan to use everything that I've used to be successful to do it for yourself. It really is. I've not hidden anything. In in early days, you know, I mean, if you really were the person that's listened to every episode, you know that I even gave away, like, the stuff that would normally be secrets, like the data mining I do, and I don't mean of your data, but the data mining, like, from of Google's data to what phrases people search to find my site and how I use those phrases to build content to attract more visitors. That's, that is something that most businesses would never give away. So I feel like this obligation to let you know what I'm doing from a standpoint of just transparency, because I know a lot of you are building your own businesses and your own side hustles, and anything I can do to help with that is great. And anything I can do to kind of paint the picture of where it can go is great. So I'm doing this to take the, the, the work that I'm doing and use it smarter. To take this thing that came out of last fall's workshop with Miyagi Mornings, it's now 100 episodes strong, and say, wait a minute, this is a great new way to develop content. And all I've done is kind of flip it from the way most podcasters do. What most podcasters do, they do a podcast, and, and most podcasters do video podcasts today. So they do, they do a video podcast, and they chop up their video podcast into pieces. They put it out on YouTube and Odyssey and stuff like that. I just did it the other way around, thanks to one of you guys. I do the videos, and they're one cut straight through videos with no editing. So putting them into an audio podcast is lightning fast. And what this is going to allow me to do, and again, I haven't worked out the process flow yet on my side, but to make two podcasts in one day during the work week. And then just have three-day weekends every week for the rest of my life. And there's a tiny piece of me that feels guilty about that. And there's a, there's a much bigger piece of me that, that feels like, damn right. And it's not so much because I want it for me. I want as many of you that want that life for yourselves as possible to have it. My biggest paydays do not come in the form of dollars or bitcoins. My biggest paydays come from two things. Emails that say, Jack, 
I built this business or I did this thing and everything's great in my life now and I learned a lot of it from what you teach. And the other kind of email I love to get, you know what they are, Jack, you're a jerk because of you and it's pretty much the same thing. When I see the impact of our work play out in people having real success in their lives, whether that success is a huge success in the world of business or side hustles or whatever, whether that success is people just having the life of their dreams on their homestead and being able to provide some of their needs, or in times of tragedy, but it was made better because of preparedness, that's the dividends. That's the dividends. So I am going to be completely transparent, not from a sense of obligation to explain myself, but a sense of obligation that this audience deserves to know everything about the way this business runs because it's as much yours as it is mine. With that in mind, I decided to run my presentation from the D3 Summit uh, that John Bush did a couple weeks ago. This is about digital privacy, and I know some of you get weary of cryptocurrency and blockchain and things like this. There is absolutely nothing that is going to have a bigger impact on your life in the next 20 years than this technology and knowing how to use it to your advantage. Every time this subject comes up, it, I get this, the, the pushback from people, this is a new world order so they can have a cashless society and surveil us, whatever. They are going to do what they are going to do, whether you support it, respect it, appreciate it, understand it, or not. The fact that they'll use blockchain as the database of choice to track you is only because it's the best database system that we have available today. That's why. If, if, if the best database technology that we had today was MySQL, they would use that. They're going to do this anyway. You cannot avoid it by ignoring it. Just as the government uses the barrel of a gun in your face for coercion, just as the government uses the gun to force you into doing what they want, to scare you, to intimidate you, just as they use the gun through force by proxy, because the people that make the laws and do the voting that oppress your rights do not have the freaking balls to stand up and do it themselves, so they hire people in the forms of, of, of law enforcement and military to enforce their will upon you, and you do not deny the effectiveness nor deny yourself access to the same weaponry. You should not deny yourself access to blockchain, disruptive technologies, privacy technologies, and cryptocurrencies. Just because they use something against you as a weapon does not mean that that weapon should be ignored, and it does not mean that that weapon should be abstained from. We need to put ourselves equally with them. And I'll tell you something. The stuff you're about to hear about today, way more powerful than the gun. Because they will always have better guns, and they will always have more guns. Because it is, a, it is something that requires materialage to, material to be assembled. When we start moving into the world of digitization, is the one place where humanity has an advantage over oligarchs because it can't be stopped and five dudes in a basement can pound out the next revolutionary technology and the systems of governance will never catch up in this race because they can't. Because they can't. Because they can't think with the creativity 
and the ingenuity, and they can't move with the agility that individuals can move with, and they will never be able to. This is an arms race that not just we can win, we are winning. And what you're about to hear is some of the most cutting-edge stuff being done with it. And I really recommend that you take it to heart and you start figuring out how you can make this stuff work for you. The last thing I'll say is whenever I talk about something like this, and I give a list here, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten companies that are part of the Blockchain Privacy Security and Adoption Alliance. People say, well, which ones are you, you know, which ones are you excited about? Which ones do you see potential in? I think every project here has some potential. I really do. The fact that they're doing what they're doing means they have potential. Out of all of it, though, what I am holding as far as I have their currency or whatever, everybody knows I hold Pirate Chain, ticker symbol ARRR. I'm also holding Sentinel, which is under a new ticker symbol now of DVPN instead of SENT. Sentinel is a pain. Think pirates difficult to buy, acquire, etc. right now. Sentinel is a pain in the ass, but I thought it was worth it. I think it'll get easier. It has really high rewards with staking right now. They basically front-loaded that. It'll the, the rewards will have the way that mined coins have over time. It's worth looking into. I cannot get involved in it. The process that was necessary because it's basically an old token it's coming a new token it has to be purchased and moved and swapped and you have to fuel it with you like that will all get better but if you want to put one on your radar i think sentinel is is one to put on your radar again the new ticker symbol for it is dvpn which is distributed virtual private networks you'll hear more about that in the presentation so i'll leave it there but hopefully this just kind of lays the groundwork for why i'm doing what i'm doing and how the show will be in the words of Bob Seger, still the same, but in the words of Tommy Chong, the same but different man. Here we go, D3 Summit with John Bush doing the introduction. All right, and we are back. All right, I would like to introduce our next guest. He's a total badass, a good friend of mine, a fellow goose on the Unloose the Goose podcast, that's uh, Jack Spierko of the Survival Podcast. Let's go ahead and bring him up. He has been uh, educating folks, inspiring folks, motivating folks to become more prepared. Uh, and a lot of it was in the homesteading context, and it's evolved and grown into agorism and cryptocurrency and privacy. And I think he just really has a, a wonderful talent for bringing some complex ideas and putting them into a consumable fashion that is really geared towards Getting shit done, I think, is the phrase they like to say in their community. So without further ado, Jack's going to talk to us about the importance of privacy in the technological egg. Thanks for joining us, Jack. John, thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here today. Um, I am really heavily known for homesteading, permaculture, living off the land, survival, et cetera. But I have uh, probably much to the chagrin of some of my audience who are very traditionalist, <laughs> brought a lot of technology, cryptocurrency knowledge, et cetera, to what we've done uh, for 13 years. I am an early adopter of cryptocurrency, not as early as I would have liked to have been, uh, but around 2014, I got on the Bitcoin train. Uh, so I've been through a lot of things. A lot of the things that people worry about with cryptocurrency, they're going to shut it down. They're going to stop it. Like We've been through it like the roller coaster over and over and up and down. And it's just, I'm past that. And so some of that will shine through with what I'm going to talk about today. But what I'm going to start off with is going to sound like something that's probably not what you would expect when we're talking about technology and privacy in the digital age. And that is 
we're going to go all the way back to the 1870s. We're going to go back to the what we call the crime of 1873, where they demonetized silver. And I, I guess one of the things I should say right off the bat here, um, everything I'm going to talk about today is in a little post that I did on my site. It's at the survivalpodcast.com forward slash D3, and it's right over here. That's why you'll see me glance over here at my notes on occasion. But all the links, everything like that, again, is available there for you. But in 1873, and I don't want to go deep into this because I only have so much time, but the United States government demonetized silver currency, and they did that in, in a couple different ways. One, they stopped making it. But the other thing that people don't know, I think, about the crime of 1873, if they're even aware of it, is up until that point, If you had raw silver, you could take it to a mint, a U.S. government mint, and they would actually turn it into coinage for you at no charge, and then you could use it and spend it because it was considered good for the public to have this currency available and known that it was actually what it was supposed to be and a known amount and, and spendable. That was considered a good thing. It was basically kind of like crypto mining for the public. Like, we need to have a currency in circulation. And what happened was the powers that be, very much through um, what we today call the New World Order, which is not a phrase I really like because I actually consider the New World Order to be the ancient world order. Um, they lobbied our government, which was even possible in the 1870s to get things done with money, to demonetize silver because what they wanted was they wanted gold to be controlled by the elite and thereby they could create economic control over society. And hence it became known as the the crime of 1873. In fact, the, the, the like one of everybody's favorite childhood memories, I think, if you're as old as me or older anyway, is The Wizard of Oz. And The Wizard of Oz was actually written about the crime of 1873. Most people don't know this because when they turned it into a movie, what they did is they made one little tiny technical change, and it changed everything about the story. Everybody knows that Dorothy's slippers were made out of rubies. They were ruby slippers. They were not. In the original story, they were silver. And Dorothy wore silver slippers walking down the golden road to the Emerald City with the man behind the curtain who gave you nothing that you didn't already have. And that was the story of how monetary control was exerted over the American people. Eventually, of course, that led to 1913, the creation of the Federal Reserve and coming off the gold standard and everything. But the first thing they did was take away the people's money, silver. And the reason I wanted to talk to you about that is I, I'm not divesting myself of all my Bitcoin. And I'm going to say some pretty negative things about public blockchains today because I do think that they've kind of reached the end of their usefulness for our movement, not necessarily for anything, but for our movement in our agorist lifestyle. Um, but Bitcoin is becoming digital gold. And a lot of people get triggered by that. They don't like that. They want to, you know, it's, it's, it's tulip mania or whatever. There's various different ways people get upset by that term. But when I say digital gold, what I mean is it is the hardest money ever created that's also been accepted by mainstream. And so what happened was when we first started out in the world of Bitcoin, it was this wonderful pure idea. And we, took it forward, and, and many people, including myself, like we would be far wealthier today if we had just bought Bitcoin or mined Bitcoin or received Bitcoin and held it, but we actually used it as currency. John uh, went out on a bus and like traveled the country and like spent what today is probably 
$100 million or more in Bitcoin at a time when Bitcoin wasn't worth much. I have a shotgun upstairs that I, I could bring down and show you that, you know, technically today is like a $50,000 shotgun because I paid one Bitcoin for it however many years ago. And so they fought it. And then what happened was eventually it got so big, it became a trillion-dollar asset, and you get to a point where, like, okay, we can't make this go away, so they co-opted it. And I've, you've heard a lot of things today about how they can use chain analysis and other things like that on, on public blockchains. But it's not going to go away. It's not going to be crushed. What it's going to become is basically a reserve currency. And if that makes it digital gold, then our question needs to become, if we look back at the crime of 1873 – What's silver? The original idea with Litecoin is it was silver to Bitcoin's gold. It was faster and cheaper. And every cryptocurrency almost that's come out since Bitcoin is faster, cheaper, and better to use as money. If what you mean by using money is I want to buy a scone and a coffee. Of course, Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash or what have you is better. But does that make those things digital silver? Or are they just derivatives Or are they just spin-offs? What actually becomes the people's money? Now, think about what cash has always been for people. What cash has been for people is if, if I want to buy Kratom from John, and I don't want anybody to know anything about it, I can pull out some cash, and I can pay him with that, and then he gives it to me, and that's as traceless as it can be, at least it seems so. What does that today? And what does that today is privacy coins. And... I know I'm going to upset some people here, but John did a little demo earlier where he and one of the other speakers sent some Bitcoin cash to each other, and he talked about a technology that creates an obfuscation of the transaction itself with Bitcoin cash. And so that makes Bitcoin cash private. I'm sorry. I know I'm going to upset some people. I don't care what you do with your transactions. Bitcoin cash is not, cannot, and will not be a privacy coin. And... These other privacy coins I've heard people throw the term around with today, Dash, Zcash, these are not privacy coins. These are coins with privacy features. In other words, you can tick a box or you can use a secondary app or something like that, and then you can obfuscate the transaction so that the transaction between me and you is complicated and hard to figure out. If you actually look at the coin missing te uh, mixing technologies, For Bitcoin Cash, for instance, what you'll see is they, they straight up say they make them more private. And they're good technologies. I'm not bashing them. But what I'm saying is you're now relying on somebody who's doing business with you to do a thing a certain way so that the transaction is private. And yet the, the address still will never be private. You give me somebody's Bitcoin Cash address and I can tell you exactly how much money's there and everything that ever went in and out of that address. On that group of notes that I have over here for you guys. I have a Zcash address. Oh, actually, not a Zcash, sorry. A Z address for a, a privacy coin called R. And I have the address published right there. You can go look at it right now. There's some money in there. I'm not going to say how much. Anybody that can tell me anything meaningful about that address, other than it's associated with me because I've already told you that, you can have whatever's in there. I'll give it to you. Whoever the first person is that can tell me anything about the, the quantity or the in and out of that address, I will give it to you. I would never do that with a Bitcoin Cash address. I would never do that with a Dash address. I would never do that with a Zcash address because they're not actually private coins. You either have privacy as a default with a currency or you do not because you're now relying on somebody else. And what I'd like you to think about 
is have you ever been to a restaurant and done something as simple as, I'd like this sandwich without mustard on it? And the waiter goes, okay. And you go, this isn't going to happen. And you say, I want to be clear, no mustard. Yeah, say it back to me, no mustard. And the guy walks away and you go, there's, there's going to be mustard on this sandwich. That's what's going to happen. And you just know it is. And when they bring it back, there's mustard on it. That guy does nothing every day except bring people sandwiches or soups or steaks or whatever. If a waiter who's a professional who does the same thing every day can get that wrong, what are the odds of the person that buys something from you or does a transaction with you might not actually use the privacy feature? And this is why I think we need to have privacy by default, at least in currencies. And I, I just want you to keep that in mind. And to me, You have some privacy coins out there. To me, the best one, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in a second, is Pirate Chain, ticker symbol A-R-R-R-R. Um, Monero is a fantastic privacy coin. I don't think it's as good, but it's good. Um, there's like Wanero. There's some derivatives of that. There's a currency called Eon, A-E-O-N. That would be a great one if the team was actually so active in doing anything with it. Um, but unless you have privacy as a default, you don't have privacy. Before we go into privacy coins, and privacy projects today. I want to just say something about Satoshi, whoever he or she or they might be. And I, I personally believe Satoshi is a team. There are three wonderful things that Satoshi did for society. Not one, three. The first and most important one is made Bitcoin. That is the number one contribution to the world. But the number two was to stay anonymous. To stay anonymous and not have anybody know who he or she or they were. Not only because they might have been attacked, but because then we would turn them into prophets. Then we would turn them into authorities. Which brings me to the third most important thing Satoshi did. Went the F away and stayed the F away. They did their thing, put it out in the world, and a lot of people talk about the Bitcoin white paper. I think if people really want to understand the diversity that was brought, even with Bitcoin, you need to look at the additional writings, the things that were on message boards and forums and things like that from Satoshi that we know were from the actual source based on the information that was provided. We know that. And things about privacy and should there be privacy and should it be by default, a lot of those things were included in there. Um, and then the other thing I want to say is there's a lot of people in this movement that don't want anything to do with cryptocurrency They are or blockchain. And they point out with complete validity the places where it's being used against us right now and the places where it's going to be used against us. There is absolutely no doubt that when we have Fed coin, and we will, and if you take a Bitcoin and you turn it into fiat, the whole thing's going to link together, and that will be forward and backward in time, everything that ever happened. That's true. It doesn't mean we ignore the technology. This is a war. It's a war on your way of life. It's a war on your right to raise your children the way you want to. It's a war on your right to eat the food that you want to eat and not eat the food that you don't want to eat. It's a war on your choice for health care. It's a war on your choice with who you associate with. It's a war on your ability to communicate what you want to say and be heard. It's a war on everything that anybody that's concerned about liberty is concerned about. And it's a weapon. It is a weapon. You're right. When you say they're going to use this against us, you're not wrong. But you know what you don't do? when you have an enemy using a weapon against you, is pretend, well, if we decide that weapon doesn't exist, it can't hurt us. If we decide that weapon doesn't exist, we can prevent it from being used. If we resist the weapon, 
by saying we don't support it, we're going to actually do something. You're not. When you're in a battle, when you're in a war, it's an arms race. And what you need to be doing is taking that weapon and advancing it to your cause so that you can actually resist their cause. And it is privacy that is our main weapon. It's in our main arsenal. And it's something that we need to understand that if we communicate it properly, even the people that we think of who are lost causes will understand it because people do value privacy. And all you have to do is if somebody says, well, they don't, they don't, they're not worried about privacy. Okay. Can I, can I have your phone? Will you give me your phone and let me just go through every single thing on your phone? Can I just look at all your text messages? Can I look at everything you've done? Can I look at all your pictures? Can you just unlock your phone for me and hand it to me? And most people like will say no. Like I think the only person I would do that for in my life is my wife. My wife can look at my phone till her heart's content. Anybody else? No, you, it's not even that I'm worried. It's that that's not for you. That's not your information. So we all feel that way. So we can actually use this message to win people over to, you do have a right to not have somebody look at that phone. And then you ask that same person. Okay. So you won't hand me that phone. Do you do understand that everything in that phone is being reviewed all the time by computers that are way faster than any human being? And that data is going places and it is being used against you. You do understand that, right? And most of them go, well, yeah, but, and there's your, there's your end. There's your end. What if I told you it didn't have to be that way? What if I told you there were options? When it comes to this, the best work that's being done right now is being done by the Blockchain Privacy, Security, and Adoption Alliance, or the BP, BPSAA, um, to make it a little bit easier on the tongue. And I'm going to go through real quick all the people that are involved, all the projects that are part of it. And I know like half of them really, really well, and half of them I'm just starting to learn about. So I'm not going to be an expert on any one of them. Um, but these are all people and organizations that are dedicated to your privacy. And I really recommend, again, you can go to the survivalpodcast.com forward slash D3 and get links to all this stuff. You, you check this stuff out and start reading the white papers for all these projects. The first one and my favorite is Pirate Chain. Again, ticker symbol A-R-R-R. This is a completely private, by default, cryptocurrency. It, 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 I love Monero. I think Monero is a real advancement in cryptocurrency, but it uses what's called a ring CT. So the way Monero works is when you send a transaction, it's like there's 13 cups, and under one cup is a ball, and that ball is the actual transaction. And only that ball actually gets to who you're sending it to. And the other 12 kind of go somewhere else. Or it's 11, I think it's actually 11 right now. And they're upgrading it. Or it's going to be something like 100, 120, 111, somewhere in that nature. And that doesn't sound like a big number, even the 11. But it's, it's bigger than you think because every time a new transaction occurs, it adds to it. It's, it's an additional factor of 11. And it works pretty well. What we've learned, though, is the feds now can crack Monero if they know exactly what they're looking for. If they're only trying to prove a thing instead of find a thing, they can kind of sort of figure it out and make a case, at least to a jury of your peers, that you're guilty. Um, because they know Bill sent it to Tom, and they can kind of really track that down. Because it's like a bunch of couriers came to your house, and they kind of got in a huddle, and then they kind of like handed a bunch of packages to each other, only one package is real, and they all went away. But you can see how you can still sort of figure that out. The way 
pirate chain works is it's like you have a chest buried in a, your backyard and it has your money in it. And I think to myself, I want John's Kratom, so I want John to have $100. And $100 worth of my treasure literally vanishes like on Star Trek and appears over in John's treasure chest to which no one has any visibility. Again, I have an our address on my website at the link I've given out several times now. I defy you to tell me a single thing about that address of any value to anyone anywhere. That's privacy, and that's why I love Pirate Chain because every time you do business with somebody, you're using that level of, of privacy. That level of cryptography, by default, you cannot turn it off. It is There is no option to do that. There's no way to screw it up. The next one I want to talk about is Sentinel. Sentinel is one of the most exciting projects there is to me. I'm really excited that they're, they're switching over their token from an ERC-20 token, which is Ethereum, because I don't really care for that right now, especially with the cost of it, to I think Cosmos is what they're doing. So I'm glad they're making that move. They're also going to be working through BPSAA to add other currencies that can be used, like Pirate, like Monero, et cetera, uh, to it. But what a distributed VPN is, is an actual VPN. Just like I said, if you have optional privacy, you don't have privacy. If you're buying a VPN from a company that's centralized, you don't have a VPN. You have a pseudo VPN. It's better than the alternative, but we have had virtual private network companies Because they're public, and once they have a data breach, they at that point they're going to tell you the truth. Because if it comes out that they didn't, and they and the data breach becomes known, somebody's going to federal prison. So all of a sudden they're honest. And so when they've had data breaches, they've had to like disclose, hey, um, yeah, uh, a, a bunch of your data, like, uh, it was it was hacked. What data? Like where you went, when you were there, how long? Like all the stuff you're actually trying to hide. Or actually trying to, I wouldn't even say hide, just to keep private. When you're using a VPN, yeah, they're storing the data. What Sentinel's doing is creating a distributed VPN where anybody can participate. Instead of mining, what you can actually do is provide an access node. And then you're compensated, so you can actually advertise on their network. I have a node available here, and this is not hard to do. Anybody with a decent internet connection and a decent computer can do this. And I charge X Sentinel per gigabyte, uh, a gigabyte of data or what have you. And then a person can actually use your access as their VPN. And there's no way you can see what they're doing. No way they can see what you're doing. All this is open source code. And this is something else. While I say that word, I need to explain to some people out there. People are like, well, the CIA developed it, man, or whatever. Okay, no matter what crypto project you're talking about. These projects using open source code are available for anybody to look at every line of code within them and see what they do and how they work. You're talking thousands of people all over the world who live to catch one thing. To, catch, to be the guy that found that one thing where, hey, these guys are screwing you over. There is nothing that is like an IRS audit of your finances does not even come close to what happens to open source code when it goes out there. So you have this open source code that allows this interact, interoperability to have virtual private network access All over the world. So it can be as, it can be as much as I want to protect my identity, but it can also be as simple as I want to see this movie. It's not been released in the United States yet. So on my VPN, I'm in France. There's, there's things that are not available to you based on the country you're in. Uh, people in China are very aware of this. They say like, you know, Google's banned in China and this is banned in China. That no, nothing's banned in China. Like it's banned at the, the state level, but every other person has a VPN. 
And if you can get away with it in China, you can get away with it here. But is your VPN really a VPN? With Sentinel, it will be. The next one is Turtle Networks. Their main focus is decentralized exchanges and decentralized governance. I've had this discussion with some anarchists that I, I, I call you know, kind of like the purest asshole types, where like, there's no rules, man, or it's not anarchy. Like, all humans, when we interact, we have rules. If you come to my house, I have rules. If I come to your house, there's rules. And so we do need a form of governance by, by voluntary association. Like our group is going to have these rules that we all agree with. Maybe it's through something like a DAO or something. So Turtle Networks allows for decentralized governance through smart contracts and things like that. But they also empower what are called decentralized exchanges. So when I want to convert one currency into another currency, and I don't want somebody knowing what I'm doing, I can use a decentralized exchange like Polarity, which is built using the Turtle Network, and I can allow my customers to exchange currencies with each other without any involvement of the government, without any KYC. And that's what Turtle Networks does. So we have that available. So think about what I've just given you. I've just given you three of these partners so far. We have the ability to exchange uh, currencies into other currencies with no third party and no giving away of our information. We have a totally private currency, and we have a virtual network that's actually private, that really is private, with nobody able to collect our data. Next, we have Ether One. Ether One is part of BPSAA, and what they're doing is decentralized hosting. I think everybody in this community, whether you were part of it or not, you probably know what happened to Parler. Parler was considered bad because they backed the orange man and the orange man's views and the right wing and the evil militia and the uh, the insurrection at the Capitol. And I, all I can think of is if you all think that's an insurrection, if there ever is one, you're going to be awfully surprised at what a real insurrection looks like. But whether you love or hate Parler, in the end, they were just taken down. Amazon Web Services just took them down. And a lot of people said, why don't they just get another host? Well, any host that was big enough to host them said no. And when you're running a site that size, you can't just go to like Bill's Hosting, right? Or even Bluehost. You have to go to a major hosting provider that has the, the capability to deal with something of that size. Well, how about thousands upon thousands of users all over the world in basically kind of a torrent situation, each hosting, <laughs> can you do something about that? Each hosting, um, a little piece or a little part of a website. And all of a sudden, you can't shut it down, and it works through the IPFS protocol, which I'm not going to dig into that today because we could get too long into this and we start going into these texts individually. But it's, you, can, you can get there from any browser. You're just using a different protocol. You're just using different initials at the beginning of the address. So now we can host content that can never be taken down. Uh, next, we have Ergo. Ergo does decentralized finance. You know, we could say, hey, I'm not going to worry about the state. I'm not going to worry about their systems and whatever. Okay, what if you want to buy a house? What if you want to buy something you don't have enough money to buy? One of the reasons the crime of 1873 was so damaging is most people don't have enough money to have a stack of gold sitting around. They have a small amount of money. That's part of how it hurt people. It made them dependent on the banking system. Well, there's a lot of things out there. I don't know if you've checked, but even if you're fairly well off, If you want to buy them, you need to borrow money from somebody. With DeFi, we can do that. We, we can go out and we can find partners to borrow money from. And there's more that Ergo does, but that's like its main central focus, is enabling security and privacy within decentralized finance. Next is Komodo. Uh, I talked a lot about Pirate Chain because they're kind of my favorite project right now. But um, Komodo is built off the back 
I'm sorry, pirate chains built off the back of Komodo. Like without Komodo, there probably wouldn't be a pirate chain. Komodo is smart chains, security, interoperability between chains, um, business to business, and they're enabling what we call atomic swaps. So we're going to be able to do is take a currency like pirate chain using atomic swaps and make any currency into at least some sort of a privacy coin so that we can actually have somebody, as long as the, let's say the merchant's using the app that's being built, and I come there and I want to spend pirate with them and I want to stay anonymous, but they want to receive U.S. dollars in the form of USDT tether. Well, they'll get their money in, in dollars. I spent pirate chain. I'm anonymous in the transaction, just like I handed them cash. That's just one way we can use that. So Komodo's amazing in what they're enabling and what they're doing with projects. Next is Burst. Uh, Burst is built on something called proof of capacity, just proof that it's actually there instead of proof of work. So it's very environmentally friendly for those that are concerned about that. But their main focus is social media, empowering social media to be able to actually be immutable and not be able to be taken down, not be able to be uh, censored, and creating marketplaces so that we can actually do business with each other in a marketplace environment where that can't be shut down without the vulnerabilities that come from being an individual. And if think about what happened to Ross Albright. And I'll say something here that if I don't clarify before I say it, you're going to think I'm saying something negative about Ross. I'm not. If I could snap my fingers and make that man free, not only would I do it, if I had that much power, I'd put him back where he was all those years ago and give him all his money back. But Ross made a mistake. Ross made a mistake in that he was an individual that could eventually be found, and he chose to censor something, to say certain things couldn't be sold. And therefore, they were able to say, well, you chose not to let this happen. So why didn't you choose to not let this other thing that we also don't like happen? We need to create autonomous marketplaces where nobody has control. And that's really scary, but you know what? Freedom's scary. And we need to do this in ways where people cannot be individually targeted. One of the things I said at the beginning of this was, you know, one of the things Satoshi did was he stayed anonymous, he went away, and he shut up. Like, that was important. But what's also equally important that comes out of that is the reason Bitcoin had to be co-opted instead of stopped, there's no building with a big B on it. There's no place you can go. There's no place you can go and shut it down. And we need to build marketplaces that way. That's what Burst is doing. Dragon Chain, another partner in BPSA, is uh, doing uh, centralized identity. We are going to need to be able to know we are doing business with the person we think we're doing business with, even if that identity doesn't necessarily say it's Jack Spirico. We need to be able to say, hey, this place here, if I'm going to order a widget, I know I'm going to get a good widget. Think of like the Amazon like review system. You can hate Jeff Bezos, you can hate Amazon, but the reason most people use it anyway is if I order a thing, I know the thing's coming, I know that if there's a problem, the thing will be fixed. Part of that is because we know who and what Amazon is. Even the things we don't like, we know it. Well, if we have the ability to have identities that are known yet unknown and decentralized, we have that ability kind of in this second parallel world that we're talking about building here. Um, we also are looking at, with, with Dragon Chain, like fraud compliance. Not everything needs to be completely private. Like, if I, I would love a complete transparent blockchain in the government. I don't mean for the government. I mean in the government so that a taxpayer can say, look what you're doing. I would love it if we had the ability to audit every single politician's contributions, the associated PACs, their associated businesses. 
I'm, I'm all for transparency for people who are taking money from people against their will. Private citizens should have as much autonomy and as much privacy as they want. But people who are living off the public's money, we should be able to see everything and anything they do. So we can look at fraud compliance in that way. We can also look at fraud, fraud compliance between two consenting businesses to make sure that things are happening the right way. Um, and also intra-chain interoperability. So how can we take something that's on this chain and this chain over here and make them talk to each other? Dragon Chain enables that. And then BitTube. Uh, everybody thinks of BitTube as just kind of like a place you can go look at videos where they're not censored. And that is a big part of it. But what they're actually doing is they're creating a censorship-resistant content platform and they're making it we talked about privacy by default but bit i'm sorry bittube creates monetization by default everybody that participates in the bittube community and you learn more by reading their white paper and checking out their website um has the potential to participate in monetization of their content and what they're doing and i think that's a really important thing because if you think about the the juggernaut that somebody like google or facebook is All they're doing is harvesting your activity, your data, and your content to the tune of, on average, about $8 a year per user. If you, if you think about that, it's kind of criminal what Facebook's become with how much snooping and spying they do in your life. If, if Facebook simply had said, it's $8 a year to use Facebook if you like it, they could have made just as much money, maybe more money, under that model than basically pimping out your data. That's if, if you are using Facebook today, especially if you're not using with like privacy technologies like Facebook container and whatever, you're basically a digital whore for Mark Zuckerberg. And I know Zuckerberg, and I know some people don't, maybe, maybe I said Zuckerberg unintentionally, but intentionally, right? Zuckerberg, right? But you're, you're basically being used and, and people don't like to hear that, but it doesn't change that it's a reality. That's what's being done to you. Your data is being harvested. And we need ways to avoid that, and we need ways to actually say then, well, if, if I have value simply in my content creation and my activity, shouldn't I be able to participate in that and do so without necessarily having anybody know who I am? So I, I went through all of those entities there that are part of BPSAA, even though I don't know deeply about every project. I'm probably thinking about half of them I'm really deeply involved with, with you know gaining knowledge on and using because I didn't want to leave anybody out. And this is why I really recommend that you check out the BPSAA, and I really recommend that you support them in any way you can. There is nobody doing more for your ability to stay private in your activities and protect what you're doing and protect your life that I know of than them. Moving forward, when I looked at that, I realized something that I've been talking about since about 2013 is actually starting to happen. And I never knew how it could happen. But I, I talked about this years and years ago, the concept of a virtual nation. The idea that like nations are a place on land with borders it is something that is really the, it's really the, the message of the psychopath that wishes to control people. Since you happen to reside on this grid square, you have to do what I say the way I say whenever I say it. That, that's what we think of today and we call those nations. What they really are is countries. They're geographic uh, delineated locations that people by their birth or just simply by occupying a space fall under, whether they consent to it or not. A true nation is, is a group of individuals who are bound by common ideals who choose to associate with each other. And we have nations that you can think of out there. You can think of things like um, the nation of Israel. 
Now, I know there is a physical location, but in the Jewish faith, you are part of that nation, whether you reside there or not, bound by ideology. And you can either agree with that ideology or not. It doesn't change the, the reality that that's what makes that a nation. And there's other nations like that. We can create our own nations, our own places where we do business with each other, where we interact with each other, and we can have sort of like a dual citizenship. Like I said early on, I'm not getting rid of all my Bitcoin. I think we're heading for a place where you'll be able to basically loan out your Bitcoin and make money off it for the rest of your life and never, ever, ever have your balance go down. That's the place we're headed in their world. And we're going to have to exist in their world some. What we need is a, a way that we can kind of opt out of their world and do business outside of it. Where if we are going to be involved with them, they have to give us a reason. They have to ask us to participate in what they're doing. And if they, and if they don't make a good enough case, as long as we can find somebody else to do business with, somebody else to associate with in our other world, we'll be able to do that. And what we're going to need for that, here's, here's my, and I don't have answers for all these. A lot of the people I gave you are working on things like that, but we need people, like our last guest was talking about doing amazing things to like make these things realize. One, we need a second identity that can be trusted. I need to be able to look at something and see somebody on the other side of the world or the other side of the state or the other side of the country and say, I want to do business with, I want to interact with this person, and I know who and what they're about. I don't need to know their proper name. I don't need to know the name on their basically their tax harvesting certificate we call a birth certificate. We think of identity as being like when I was born, they made a certificate, it said John Spirko on it, right? And then that's my identity. But in reality, the value of my identity is everything I've ever done, everybody I've ever interacted with in my reputation. That's actually my real identity. Like, if I had called myself a different name when I started doing the Survival Podcast, and somebody said to you, well, Jack Spirico's real name is Bilbo Baggins, you wouldn't care. That doesn't matter to you. What you'd say is, but I know the man that I've done business with for 13 years. I know that every time I've given him money, he's given me back what he said he would give me. I know that I've listened to his teaching. I've listened to his podcast. And no matter who it is, you'd feel the same way. You don't really care what the person's name is. You care that you know the track record. We need a digital identity that is tokenized, that is not their version of it, where everything you do everywhere, like every time you pick up the phone and make a phone call is attached to it, where all of your, like, that's what they want to do. We need our own version of it, where we get to decide who sees what, where I can basically give you a viewing key into what you're allowed to know if I think you need to know it. And you don't need to know where I live. You don't need to know anything about me other than what I choose for you to know and what we need to know about each other to interact with each other. We need a parallel Internet that cannot be censored. And we already have it. What we need are more tools, and we need better user interface so that we can use them. We need to make sure that if you want to put something online, if you want to put up information, if you want to put up a video, no one can take it down. Again, we're already there. We just need a, like a tighter integration of how to use it. We need the ability to leave the Matrix at will. If you think about the movie The Matrix, whenever they went into The Matrix, they sat down in a chair, they strapped in, and then they got jacked in by a coder and they went into The Matrix. I'll leave it to you. Is our world we're creating for ourselves The Matrix or is their world The Matrix? I don't even care. It doesn't matter. You can decide either way, but we need the ability to operate in either of those worlds whenever we want, however we want, and not be in the other one. It's difficult, but it can be done. 
We need the ability to privately do commerce in a trusted and a trustless environment. So if I know John, great. If I don't know John, I need to still be able to do business with John. We do this all the time in their world. There's no reason we can't do it in our own. The keys to making this work. We need to simplify user interfaces. We need to make things in our world as easy to use as they are in their world because people don't like extra steps. This is why I said if it's privacy by option, it's not privacy. Here's an example. Zcash, which is considered a privacy coin, 6%. 6% of transactions on the Zcash network are private. 6%. Meaning 94% aren't. And the 94% compromise the 6% because you got to click a button to use it. We don't. We don't need things to be complicated. We don't need things to have extra steps. We need a person who's who's existing and, and, and browsing content on IPFS to be able to do it as seamlessly as they do with HTTP, which is what you're using to watch this right now. We need it to be seamless. We need it to be no differential other than maybe a little light that's on to remind you when you're not doing it, something like that. Um, we need education on the how the what, and the why. And that starts with everybody watching this right now. There are things you cannot convince your fr friends and family of. Some of them, if you try to convince them, you know what? Wearing a cloth mask doesn't work because here's 12 studies done over 70 years that say it doesn't work. The same people telling you it did said it didn't for 70 years. They won't listen to you. Vin Armani calls it the dim age, and I think it's a great term for it. Like they believe in magic. Those people can't be reached by talking to them about things they've already made up their mind on. But they can be reached when you talk to them about their right to privacy. It's, it's the Achilles heel in the establishment because everybody believes in it. I should say everybody that's not a psychopath believes in it. And again, if you're having that conversation, they say, but you know, can I have your phone? Will you unlock your phone and hand me your phone and let me look at all your text messages, all your emails, all that stuff? You won't. Do you trust me? You do, but you don't want me to know. I understand. I'm not offended. Then why do you trust people who you don't know with that information? And that's a great way to educate on the why. The how is simply let me show you, and the what is here are the things that get it done. And we need to be doing this because the larger we make our community, the more they have to. They have to accept us. They have to deal with us. I want them to beg us. I don't want to invite them in. You're talking about a vampire. Like every sci-fi show you've ever watched, when the vampire comes to the door, you do not say, come in. We do not invite the state in. We do not invite their systems in. We do not invite their ideas in. But we want them begging us to interact with them. And we do that through united fronts and through being able to operate without them. That's how we get that done. Um, we need... In real life relationships, extending trust into virtual relationships. So if you think back to like the beginning of Bitcoin, when Bitcoin started, I was like, this is a great idea, but what can I buy with it? And there were like marketplaces where you could see all the stuff you could buy with, with Bitcoin. And I'm not talking about like Silk Road or anything. This is even prior to that. And it was all like web hosting and things like that. And the reason it made sense, if, if I don't pay you for hosting, you just, Turn off my hosting. And you have no, like, a host has no real cost to add one new customer. 
So it was an easy place to take the risk for the supplier. And the buyer was like, you know, I'm only paying for a month at a time, so it's not that much money. If they, if they screw me over, I just won't do business with them anymore. And, and that's what it required. Like anything that was a significant investment that had a material cost before there was fungibility of Bitcoin into fiat, it was really hard for somebody to say, like, I'm going to build your house and I'm going to take Bitcoin in payment because I got to buy the lumber. I got to buy the nails. I got to pay my labor. Like my labor is one thing, but my, my help labor, like that's, that's an expense. But where people were willing to do business with things other than fiat, because we have this, magical trust we have in fiat was when we knew the person because we knew we could count on the person and we knew we could work with the person. So the way we bridge that gap is we start doing business across the fence with people we know in real life, but we do business with virtual currencies and in these virtual worlds. And thereby we establish our trust. And then as that identity attaches that trust to it, it extends out, we begin to do business with people that are one or two or three off. And eventually we build a reputation in that world the exact same way we've always built reputations in towns and cities and what have you, where you knew you could go to somebody's business and they would take care of you. My dad sold used tires when I was a kid. It doesn't sound like a really glamorous job, but he made an awful lot of money doing it. And he had a reputation. If you went to him and you needed a tire so your car would pass inspection, that's all you needed, he'd get you through the inspection. If you wanted the best used tire, if you wanted something some guy drove around a little bit, decided he didn't really like the way they looked, and he wanted basically a brand new set of tires at a discount, he'd give you that and anything in between. He built that reputation. It took years to do it. These reputations will take years to do, but how do you start a reputation? You do business with people you already know, and you extend from there. We need that to happen. And I I know some people are going to not like this. I don't think we need a coin for everything anymore. Even some of the projects that I gave you today, I'm like, Honestly, the only reason you have a coin is because it's your way to print your own money. And I understand. And there is value to a native token in an ecosystem because you know it's going to work. And while you're building the ecosystem, if there's a problem, either the guy building the ecosystem built the token or the guy, like one guy's in this chair and then right over here in the other chairs and like those guys can talk to each other and they can work things out. I, I get that utility. I really see how that worked out for like library odyssey. Um, and having their own native token on their own platform. Cause that system, even though it's really not a privacy system, but it allows for privacy, it works the way all these social media sites don't work and should are integrating cryptocurrency. You create an account. You have a wallet. You have an address. You earn money. You can buy it. You can sell it. You can trade it. You can tip. You can be tipped. It just works. We need that. But I don't think every single time we have a new project come out, we need a new token. We need a new a new coin. We have, in my opinion, between Monero and R, two outstanding ways to trade value with each other and do so with complete and total anonymity. Uh, an- be anonymous. I can't say that word for some reason right now. Um, what else do you need? What else do you need? Now, if we're using something to create interoperability, i.e. Dragon Train, okay, Dragon dragon Train, I I get it, I guess. But if I were going to build a social media network today, and I'm not because I don't have the time, but this is my kind of my dream. If somebody wants to build my dream for me, it would be a lot like Facebook or MeWe. You would have your own individual feeds and your connections to your own individual people. You would have groups, pages, and you'd have a marketplace. And you'd have 
an instantly integrated cryptocurrency that you'd be able to trade between members of that community, and nobody would be able to know jack diddly crap unless you wanted them to. Now, I know one currency that can do that right now, specifically with, with Pirate Chain. And I think Monero could do a pretty damn good job of it, too. So what else do we need? So I, need, I think we need to resist this temptation. We know why we hate fiat, or what we call fiat, because what we have today in our currency is actually worse than fiat. The greenback under Abraham Lincoln was a true fiat currency. The government just said, let there be money, and there was money. Like, that's, that's how they did that, right? But the currency today is actually backed by debt. It's worse than a pure fiat currency because there's a bill on the other end of it that devalues it. And so we know that printing money is bad, and we know the printing press cannot be resisted if it exists. If a human being has the power to make money by pushing a button or entering a command, they're going to do it. And that's why we have such a plethora, thousands and thousands and thousands of cryptocurrencies. And honestly, over half of them, probably more than 90% of them are functionally unnecessary and useless. We really don't need that. We don't need that many different currencies. We have... 10 cryptocurrencies for every nation on the planet. We, we really don't need that. And I really encourage people that are going to take the next step, resist the temptation. Resist the one ring, right, the power to bind them. Resist it. Use something that's already there. If what you're building has value, people will bring a currency to it. And the most important thing you can do for humanity right now, if you're going to build a project in this space, is enable people to do business with each other privately. And I would say, follow the example of Satoshi to a degree. Don't tell anybody who you are. Don't have a building with a name on it. Don't use your real name. Be anonymous. Use a DAO. And maybe even in a DAO, a, detonymous, uh, a decentralized autonomous organization, maybe the people in the DAO don't even know who the other people are in the DAO. Here's a real quick story as we wrap up. My father-in-law was part of the resistance in the underground in Europe during the Nazi occupation. His father ended up in a concentration camp. He was awarded the Medal of Freedom by Dwight Eisenhower. When my father-in-law was young, so that was his dad, he was working in the resistance too. And his dad had him take a suitcase to a, to a, a room in a hotel and give it to other people in the hotel. And he said, son, when you walk up to that door, you knock on the door three times. You look at the floor. When the door opens, put the suitcase out. Do not look up. Do not look at their face. Let them know you never saw their face. So that when you walk away, they know that you're never a risk to them. You can't give them up under torture because you don't know who they are. You don't know anything about them. You don't know what they look like. Do not look at their face. We're dealing with people as evil as the people those people we're dealing with. We're dealing with those people right now. And that means we need to use a, an anonymous system to our advantage, including sometimes not really knowing who each other is. That's not about not trusting each other. That's about not trusting the enemy. And we need to absolutely learn that lesson from history. A, a saying I heard recently, and I was like, man, where's this been my whole life, was the real lesson from history is no one ever learns a lesson from history. It doesn't have to be the case. That's a lesson we need to learn. Here's the good news, the bad news, and the worst news. In that order. It can be done. It won't be easy. And we have no other option.
We're moving into a world where they're going to use technology to control us. We are not going to be able to use the absence of technology to resist. We're going to have to employ the same technology that they're using. We're going to have to be smarter with it. We're going to have to be better with it. And we're going to have to be uh, more agile with it. Here's the good news. Government's not smart. The government's not agile. The government's not innovative. The government is a miserable failure. We, for the first time in history, have something that we've never had before, an arms race where we have the advantage. Because no matter how bad they are at doing things, they can make more guns than we can. Because they can tax more people to make more guns, to stamp more out, and somebody will always sell them to them. You can't compete with tens of thousands of people all over the world working together, building and integrating new systems out of basements and garages where they are equal to you. You can't do it because there's more of us than there are of them. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. I want to remind you guys, all of the resources I mentioned are available at the survival podcast com forward slash D3, including a bunch of links that I didn't mention today, uh, how you can connect with me, um, information on the crime of 1873, my interviews with Draith Kata from Pirate Chain, podcasts on virtual nations, podcasts on getting started with cryptocurrency. And at that point, John, I'll turn it back over to you. I don't know if you want me to answer any questions or you've got anything else for me. Hey, Jack, great talk, man. I, I knew you were going to deliver. So I didn't know what to expect, but I knew that it was going to be good. So you got... Yeah, I like the big picture stuff, right? You can get nitty gritty with the how to on a lot of stuff, but the big picture stuff I think is important also. So thank you so much for that. Let me ask you this. Why, um, why do you think so many people in our community are so damn skeptical and are just convinced that blockchain bad, just like orange man bad, blockchain bad? What do you think that's all about? It's, it's two things. It's one, they're partially right in that any weapon can be pointed at you, right? So you can have a weapon and point it at somebody else, and I can have a weapon and point it at you. So a bad guy can put a gun in your face, right? But a gun can also defend your home. And I think there's a lack of understanding. Just because something can be used as a weapon doesn't mean it's bad for you to have. If we're going to go with that philosophy, then we should ban guns, right? Like nobody should have a gun. I think the other side is, and I, I hate using this word, but it's the only word for it, it's ignorance. They don't know how it works. They don't understand how it works. They don't know what it is. When I hear people say things like, well, the government's just going to shut down cryptocurrency. Explain to me what cryptocurrency is, and they don't know. And I really think there's a lot of that. People just don't understand. Like when I, in my talk, I talked about like what open source code is. Like, well, this was developed by the CIA. Okay, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, no one knows who Satoshi is, but you really think that you've had, Bitcoin specifically, you've had Hundreds of thousands of extremely intelligent coders go over this. And you think there's something there we don't know about? Are you kidding? Like, I, my issue is not that I don't think the government would do things. I just don't think they're that good at it. I don't think they're that hyper competent. And I think that's something that in our space, we end up elevating government and bureaucracy to a level of competence that they're not worthy of us elevating them to. And that's the magic. That's how, that's the real dim age that Vin talks about where they keep you afraid of them because you believe they're capable of things they're not actually, it's not that they don't have the intention. The capability in many instances lacking. We are stronger than they are. And I think people give over their power and therefore anything they don't understand that might be used against them, well, it must be the CIA or the NSA or whatever. 
Cryptocurrency is a lot like the Internet. Sure, they want to use it against us, but it is the most empowering thing that's ever been given to humanity. Wow. Yeah, that's a bold statement. I, I always sense like it's almost as though people want it to be some sort of Trojan horse because it fits into their narrative that we're totally screwed. Yeah. Uh, one thing I like Derek Bros pointed out, it's like, okay, it's a tool. And just because it is being used for negative, bad purposes doesn't mean we just completely abandon it. We step into our power and we use it better. You know, mm-hmm. we leverage it just the same. So I appreciate you kind of driving that home. I think it's a great talk to, to end the session. One person was asking, um, and I know you like cryptocurrency is complicated as hell, but you have a way of just sharing stuff that's like <laughs> down to earth, you know, like drinking a beer at the bar with some country guys. You can help them to explain it. But somebody was asking, I'm trying to understand the tech of R. Is there another analogy for how it works? I understand the analogy for Monero. Well, you did the little uh, pirate chest thing. Yeah. Earlier. I thought that was pretty cool. It's so it uses uh, an encryption, which is, um, Zero knowledge proof. It, it, it is actually mostly anyway, the same technology from Zcash, right? So the people at R didn't develop the zero knowledge proof technology. They used it properly. What Zcash did was, Hey, we have this great encryption. It's incredible encryption. Nobody can break it, but we're not going to turn it on unless you choose to turn it on. So it's, it, it, I mean, I, I can't get into like the, technical explanation of the encryption, but it's just think of it as incredibly advanced encryption, something that you can throw brute force at for a year and you're, you're pounding sand. You're not going to get anywhere. The big difference is that it is on by default. And I really believe something, I believe the original Zcash project was going that way. And I, I don't have any proof of this, but there's enough kind of anecdotal evidence and people that know that feels like it was compromised and they turned that functionality off. So just think of it as really, really advanced encryption, um, way better than what you would typically think of as like encrypting a message end to end between people. And what that does is it obfuscates things to the where you cannot, if, if you go look at the block explorer, just to kind of make it clear, For Zcash, basically you see shielded, like your total information you really get is shielded inputs, shielded outputs. There's no data there to collect. There's no data to harvest. It's not there. You, there's no, it's, it, it doesn't exist. It exists long enough to complete the transaction and then it's gone. So that only you and the party you're doing business with know that it happened. Now, if you want to reveal a transaction, individual transactions have a thing called a viewing key that you can you can use if you're the sender. But without that, and that is breaking that viewing key would be like as complicated as breaking the private key that goes with your public key, right? So you to, to actually do that, you would need somebody's public key, somebody's private key, and their viewing key. It's actually harder to do that than to, like, crack somebody's private key and steal their Bitcoin. So if you got to where you could do the first thing, you'd be so busy stealing people's Bitcoins – You, you don't have time to be trying to do this thing, if that yeah. makes sense. It's hard to explain. It's, you know, with the time we have, and most people are not going to understand the technical side of it. No, but it, but it works, and that's the important thing. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jack. I appreciate your contribution to our event today. Take All care. Right. Take care, Stay man. Stay free. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. The one, the only Jack Spirico, the Survival Podcast. Again, the show notes are there, the Survival Podcast dot com slash d3 what a day 
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, what I did figure I could do for you with this episode, since uh, it is kind of reusing some content, is give you a song of the day today. And I decided to give you a song that I'm sure I've played this before, because what, what Jimmy Buffett song have I not played before? But I wanted to play this one for you since uh, since I am heading off to one of my favorite places in the world, Florida, uh, specifically the, uh, the the southwestern Gulf Coast of Florida, uh, near Fort Myers on Sanibel Island. And I will be spending some time in a boat, absolutely, always, every time. I'm not going out there without chasing Big Grouper or Barracuda or something like that. I'm always going to do that. And the guy whose service I fish with will pick me up in a harbor, on the, uh, the inward side of the bay between the island and the mainland. And we'll cruise across that bay and out to the open water. And uh, it is one of the times in my life that I am truly content and truly happy. It, it, it falls right in with reality versus non-reality. In the, in the last segment of the Miyagi Mornings episode this week that you heard on Monday, or you heard when that, that video came out on uh, Friday last week, it's reality. And this song you're about to hear is part of that reality for me. And I love it so much, and it's so attached to being in that boat, skipping across that turquoise blue water, that I hear it in my head as though it was playing on the radio. And it's a real simple song. It's a song I've always loved. I love the original, which was done by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. It tells the real story of, I believe it was Stephen Stills, who had a relationship and badly, traveled across the Pacific over to, I believe, is Japan, where he started his journey, got on a ship, and sailed all the way back to the United States across the, across the South Pacific and landed eventually in a place called Avalon. Now, Avalon is a sleepy little town, about the only one on the entire island, of an island called Catalina Island off the coast of California. And you'll hear him say something, a, a noisy bar in Avalon I tried to call you. That's that's the place that they're talking about. And of all the things described in this song, like the Marquesas and all, these are all real places. But one I've actually been to is that noisy bar in Avalon. And I know it's that noisy bar in Avalon because there's really only one there. <laughs> my wife and my son and I were at that noisy bar And we traveled through that little town years and years ago, so long ago that my son, who's now in his 30s and has gifted me with two grandchildren in my life, was still in high school when we were there. That's a long time ago. Well, this vacation we're fixing to take will be the first vacation I've been able to take with my son in a very long time, along with my daughter-in-law and my grandkids. They're going with us this time. And... So this song means even a little bit more to me because that's honestly the last real time I can remember getting away with my boy. So I'll be on that boat, bouncing across that bay, playing this song in my head. Southern Cross, the cover version by Jimmy Buffett, which dare I say, that's the one in my head when I'm on that boat. I like it just a little bit better. Of course, I've got a soft spot in my heart for everything Parrothead. Hope you guys enjoy uh, the coming week. Again, I will have a brand new show for you tomorrow. And then I'll be gone for about seven episodes with Rewinds. And I'll be back recharged better than ever. Got out of town on a boat to the southern eye. On a reef 
Not only are we uh, happy to see all 35,225 of you out there tonight, and we appreciate this. We also are broadcasting this tonight live on Radio Margaritaville as we do all of our shows free of charge tonight. And we'll continue to do so all summer, so it's not only going out to Wisconsin and the great Midwest, we're going around the world tonight, Parrotheads. I wish I had a pencil pen. Just like that. 